pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your precious word and the anointing that rests on it and on me. And thank you for using me today as a vessel to share your precious, precious truths with your wonderful children that you love so much. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that we may be matured in our faith and be blessed to be a blessing and go out and help others with the same help that we have received in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Been talking about reigning in life. God has instructed us through His Word that we are supposed to have dominion. We gave it up in the garden. Jesus came back, got it back for those who follow Him. Amen. Amen. And we're supposed to be walking in power and victory and love and the anointing. And these final days, it's going to be more and more pertinent that we do. I've known that since the ministry that uh, God has given me uh, began. He told me everything is not as it appears. And uh, a lot of the what we see as the body of Christ was not as it appeared. And then he sent me out to see some of that. And um, now we have entered into, I believe, and many others believe, the beginning phases of this third great awakening, which is going to be a wonderful revival in our nation and I believe throughout the world to bring people back, bring people's hearts back to God. And uh, it's going it's to take care of a lot of the craziness that we see in the world today, although not all of it, because in a way, those things are just going to continue to get worse and worse. But also on the God side, the church is going to get bigger and stronger and better, the real body of Christ. And then there's going to be, amidst the apostasy or the falling away and the false doctrine and the false prophets and the false teachers and all that, there's going to be the real true bride of Christ. And we just need to pray and continue to stay focused and stay in relationship with God that we be a part of that end times bride. Where no matter who approaches you, what approaches you, what kind of crazy teaching or doctrine, which might will always sound good. They're not going to come in with a red cape and horns. They're going to come disguised as an angel of light. I tried to explain to someone this week who wanted to know about We're talking about Wiccans and all this stuff. And I said, it's demonic. He said, no. They believe in... Uh, good things and this and that and Jesus too and what's wrong with having a lot more gods because theirs was first and before Christianity you see all these arguments and you know what I argued back nothing I said I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to you and show you the truth takes the work of the Holy Ghost but there will come a time when it will be sort of like in Moses days like you throw down your rod I'll throw down mine and we'll see what God does. So get prepared. Amen. Amen. The provision of God, we've discovered like through Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, for instance, the provision is contained in the promises, isn't it? And there's like 8,000 promises in this book that are all for you, all yes and amen in Christ. So if the provision is in the promises, 
And we need to learn to walk in our authority. Talks a lot about the believer's authority. Jesus gave us authority when he left and he went and sat down next to the Father because he was finished. He had accomplished and made provision for everything that he needed to do. And now the authority is ours in his name. Amen. I minister out of the book of Mark a lot. And so turn back over there to Mark chapter 11. And you'll keep your finger there for a while. We're going to run through some scriptures. If you have a piece of paper, you might run them down. And you can go back and do yourself a little Bible study. But this should bless you. And I've got to get through some sort of tough stuff. And you're going to think, what is he doing? Is he, is he, is he uh, rebuking us today or whatever? And, and then you're going to say, no, he wasn't. He was empowering us. And in the, and in the end, you're going to walk away shouting and feeling stronger than, uh, than horseradish. All right, amen. Mark 11.24 is usually the scripture that I use to teach about the fact that it's a kingdom of opposites, Right? And so when we pray, Jesus instructed us to believe that what we pray for, that we have it when we pray, and then we will have it. And people go, huh? Well, I believe it when I see it, isn't that? I mean, come on. I'm not, uh, my mama didn't raise no fool. Well, no, she didn't. But you're, you can choose to live a carnal life, which doesn't always mean sinful. It just means natural. You can just live by your natural senses, what you can see, hear, taste, smell, and feel. Or you can choose to tap into the supernatural life, which you're called to in Christ, and believe that the, the unseen world that created this world is more real than what you can see. Amen. And you can choose to believe that over what you do see. And when, it, when what you do see doesn't line up with what God says about those that you do have... Then you speak what he says and you believe it more than what you see. And then you will see it come to pass. Amen. Amen. All right. So that's what he says in, in 1124. And so our authority becomes effective. If you, if, you, if, uh, if you believe you have what you pray for when you pray. And then you will have it. So our authority becomes effective by what? Faith. Uh huh. And we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what it says in Hebrews 11, 1. And then our faith becomes effective in Philemon 1, 6, especially in the King James, the New King James, and the Berean Study Bible. Some of those that got it right, it says, our, our faith becomes effective by acknowledging every good thing that is in us. You see that? Some of them say in knowing. And same difference, really, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So either way, if you really come to know something, it's going to come out of your mouth. But I like this better because it really hits it on the head. It says, our faith becomes effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in us. <clears throat> but there's something I'm going to get... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empower you, or God's going to use me to help you be empowered more greatly today. Amen. But before I can get to that, I want to touch on something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into areas where 
Most ministers seldom want to tread because they're scared to. Okay? And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about something that you don't hear about or discuss in today's contemporary church and society because no one wants to be told what to do. And uh, the grace message has been preached to an extreme that it's uh, an all-inclusive license to sin and an all-inclusive doctrine of the devil at times, if you preach it to that extent. And we need to know that as a minister, we can never neglect to preach on repentance. And so I'm going to talk to you about repentance because some people really don't even have an idea of what repentance really is. And so let's talk about repentance and then I'm going to talk about the other thing that I really want to get to, okay? People, for the most part, the pro- here's the problem, people for the most part don't see the need to repent. And, you know, I don't want a show of hands, but I guarantee you... <laughs> The majority of us sitting here or standing here, we just really don't see the need to repent. But before we can truly operate in faith, we have to repent. Uh, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8, says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So faith, as well as grace, are both gifts from God. Amen. Amen. And without repentance, there's no forgiveness unto salvation. You see that? The good news of, of God... The good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel means literally the good news, the almost too good to be true news. And the goodness of God is meant, intended to bring about repentance. You know that? That's what the scripture says. It's God's goodness that brings repentance, not hellfire and brimstone. That might be true. Turn or burn. True. Gospel, though? No. It's not the gospel. See, people have thought they've interchanged the word gospel with truth. It's not. The gospel is the good news. The almost too good to be true news. While you, if you don't repent and turn to God, you go to hell. That might be true. It's not the gospel. I can lay facts out to you about God all day long that are never going to change you. That's why for 1,500 years, people under the law never could get saved on their own by trying to keep the law. It's the good news about the grace of God, the salvation of God, and what Jesus has done that brings freedom and brings repentance. Amen. Amen. The problem is, people don't think that they need to repent, even though it is a theme, an underlying theme of the entire New Testament. They say, no, that's, that's Old Testament stuff. Well, true. Everything in the Old Testament was type and shadow. A lot of the sacrificing and everything, pulling the bullock's head off, that's repentance. But I don't need to go back and un- unfold all those types and shadows because it's, it's filled in the New Testament. 
He's like, oh, well, it's, it's the age of the grace. And yeah, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see? Okay. So in the New Testament, just for instance, starting with John the Baptist, didn't he, uh, didn't he baptize a baptism of repentance? Yeah. And in Matthew 3, 8, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just say you repented. Let me see the results of that. It should, there should be some corresponding actions resulting from your change uh, in my, of mind. And he says in uh, Matthew 4.17, after Jesus was baptized, from, he said, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Remember that? And then Peter, his great sermon on the day of Pentecost, which I love to, I always end up, every week, I always end up there somehow in Acts chapter 3, reading that sermon from Peter. But in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, after Peter talked to the, the, uh, the men of Israel who had killed the author of life, <laughs> and he told them so, and he told them what? Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So look, there's a promise, there's a benefit, and there's lots of wonderful benefits that come, but repentance comes first. Amen. James preached repentance. Paul, the greatest grace preacher, preached repentance. All the way through Revelation, Jesus, in his the seven letters to the, the churches, all about repentance, wasn't it? And the order is always the same. If you'll go through and see, I started to say, I'm just going to list all the repentance uh, scriptures. And you know what? There were too many. I'd be here all afternoon. So, I mean, I, mean, I found 30 anyway, real quick. So, I'm just telling you, the order is always the same. Repent, then believe. So, if it isn't of, of faith... The Bible says anything that we do that's not of faith is sin. It's just it's just like a you know when you're trying to make a good uh, decision about something and you just put the topic up at the the top of the yellow notepad and you draw a line down the middle and then every time you walk back pa- past it you write down a good thing or a bad thing that you think about and then you weigh it out at the end. <laughs> but that's that's kind of how this goes. What is repentance anyway? It's, it's just a change. It, it's about your attitude. It's a change in mind regarding the truth of God's Word resulting in a change, a corresponding change in actions. That's all. It's like you were going one way and you found out that's, that God says go this way and you say, okay, and you do it. It's just agreeing with God. I've been telling people for 14 years now. They say, how do you do it? What do you do? I, even even at 14 years ago, I didn't know much about how to do it, what to do it, and what was required. But I did know this, and I kept telling people, agree with God. Every Everything you find that you have been in disagreement with God about, either if you didn't know it or do know it, just agree with God. And let the chips fall where they may. 
and find out how good and faithful he is. Repentance is not a big scary thing that people think it is. It can be. I know a lot of folks, unfortunately, who they were warned, but they rejected God and they went their own way, which we all like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. Free, that's pride. That's our own will, our own way. And then that's in opposition to God. If you stick with it long enough, sometimes people can build such lives around lies that even the thought of now agreeing with God in that particular area of their life would be too painful. It would uproot everything that they've built an entire world around and they can do it and God will still make a message out of that mess but it's harder and harder for them to trust that he will do that and you'll find a lot of people are just lost in that situation we don't want anyone to get there if they do it's not God's fault he's still there with open arms and lots of provision and promises still amen So repentance is essential, not only for the ungodly, but for religious folks. And sometimes I might put a, especially religious folks, because sometimes they're the hardest people to convince that they need to repent. You know what people say? Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I I, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm as good as the next person. Why do I need to repent? That's what you hear. Acts 17.30. Paul's message to the men of Athens. You remember that? When he went into that town and they had all these statues and all these gods and stuff. And then he saw one there and it said to the unknown God. And he utilized that. And he said, he told them, he said, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent all people everywhere to repent so if you think you don't need to repent i want to warn you this is a very dangerous attitude to have telling god that he's wrong and you're right because <laughs> he says very clearly right here in Acts seventeen thirty, all men now need to repent so God says we all need to, and, and so we're going to continue to listen to him about that and see what it means and what it looks like for us. The problem is, you know, I remember when I was 14 or 15 years old, when I was a kid, and in the olden days, <laughs> you could get a hardship license. I don't know if you can still do that. And then uh, they would just type on the back uh, on a little uh, sticky thing uh, all the things that you were allowed to do and the times you were allowed to drive. And mine had, like, I had so much stuff going on, you know, it had, like, I don't remember, but going to and from school, to and from work, to and from uh, karate class. And by then, I was already a junior instructor in martial arts, so I was there all the time. And to and from uh, lots of other things. I said, man, this is pretty inclusive. But then I wanted to stay out even later, and so I just ripped that little sticker off the back. I never got in trouble for it. So I had my license since I was just a, wasn't really old enough to drive. But the point is, one of the first things that I learned driving a car, and probably you all remember this too, and there's blind spots, isn't there? There's blind spots that you can't see 
you can't see when people are driving up and it's usually on that right side right around the where the gas tank is or that back wheel you can't see that car over there and and to to fix that what you have to do is you have to adjust your mirrors and you have to because like we had to like to point that 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 those side mirrors way out and back and all that well that's not really helping you, you got your rear view mirror for that and you can turn around like what you need is you need to point those down a little closer to the side of the car where you can see cover those blind spots anyway my grandpa taught me how to do that and sure enough it helped well we all have blind spots in our lives that we just simply do not recognize as being a problem in our own life we just don't Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'll give you some examples. You know, there are sins. I think I mentioned to to Joey and Barbara last night. There's there's uh, there's sins of commission. There's things that we do and we know they're wrong, right? But there's also sins of omission. Things that we know we should do but we don't. That's a sin. Because if anyone knows what they should do and they don't do it, it's, a, it's sin to them. That's what the Bible says. So there's sins of omission and sins of commission. The sins of omission, James 4.17, knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. That's sin. And then there's the sin of self-righteousness. And a lot of us walk in self-righteousness to some degree or another. And uh, many times we just don't see it or don't acknowledge it. But remember in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, uh, Jesus was uh, telling a parable about a Pharisee who went to the temple to pray. And he was praying over there alongside the sinful tax collector. And the Pharisee, remember, he it was so typical. All His prayer was all about himself. He was really bragging to God about him, how good he was. <laughs> Thank you, God, that I'm not like this old tax collector over here. And then he list, made a list of all the wonderful things that he did. I, I do this, and I do that, and I fast twice a week. And then the, the tax collector, I guess, hearing him, he said he, he couldn't even lift his head up. He just beat his chest and said, Lord, have, for, have, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm just an old sinner. And he said, Jesus said, that tax collector, you know, who had humbled himself before God, he left there... In, in right standing and the the Pharisee did not you see so what was his sin pride self-righteousness that was the problem but really the one that I want to just focus on before I get to the good stuff today is one that is is, is really I think most typical and really the hardest on most of us to uh, deal with completely in our lives we we hide it under the rugs, we compartmentalize it away, we talk it away, we explain it away, we put a hat and glasses on it and set it on the front porch and act like it's not what it is. And that's unforgiveness. Yeah, it usually goes over about like that. Alright, so in Mark, where we just were, where Jesus is telling us how to how we ought to pray and believe that we have what we pray for when we pray and we will have it. This is great news, right? This is a promise of God. This is a spiritual law that Jesus is explaining to us and it's for us. It's wonderful. But look where people don't go to the next verse because he said something. He didn't even stop talking and he said this to go with that. Look at the 25th verse. 
Well, let me go back to 24. So he goes, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, listen to this, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, we stop short of that scripture most of the time. But Jesus just kept right on talking. He made sure he included that. He's like, now, believe, believe you have what you pray for when you pray, and you're going to have it. That, this is great news. He goes, but if you got anything against anybody, go forgive them. So that you'll be forgiven. In other words, he's saying, he's saying, he's saying this is a wonderful, powerful spiritual law at work for your benefit, for your provision, on your behalf. But there's something you can do to hinder it. And I want you to make sure that you're always aware not to let that, that sneak in and get you. That's unforgiveness. That's one of your blind spots, folks. You go over in Matthew, and then we're not going to do it because for time. Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30. And Jesus talking to the cities that had rejected him, and he told them the same thing. And, and look, same order. He told them, repent, come to me, and rest. If you'll just repent, if you'll just change your mind and turn to me and agree with me, then you can come to me and then you rest. Remember that's where he says, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest for your souls. But he told them first, repent. Matthew 18. There's a parable there. About a wicked servant. Do you remember that? This guy, he goes in and he owes the king a whole bunch of money. I'm going to just read it, starting at the 21st verse, first verse of Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... No, he's asking him how often he should forgive. <laughs> how appropriate. <laughs> and Peter... See, the law of the day was three times. He didn't know that. And Peter thought he would brag a little, impress the Lord. He said, how many times should I forgive in a day? Seven times? He doubled it and added one for good measure. And Jesus said, no, not seven times, 77 times. Another place he said 70 times seven. In other words, it's unending. Just forgive. But he told a parable he said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. He never would have been able to repay this debt. It was millions and millions of dollars. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a few dollars. 
And seizing him, he grabbed hold of him. And he said, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. <laughs> so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. Same thing he did to the king, right? But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, he, his master delivered him to the jailers. And in Greek, that's translated tormentors. Until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father, Jesus said, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. I mean, you can't make it any more clear than that. I mean, this is red letters. Not in my Bible. They're all red letters, actually. God has forgiven us so much. Jesus warns us that if we act in an unforgiving way, then we're going to be dealt with in the same way. Now, as New Covenant believers, a lot of things have been paid for. The price has been paid. Jesus has made a way for us. And our sins have been blotted out. And when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. But I'm telling you something. That when, we un when unforgiveness is present in our lives, we are opening doors for the devil because we refuse to cooperate with God's spiritual laws. You can compare it with the law of sowing and reaping if you want to. But being thankful to God will naturally result in an attitude of forgiveness to our fellow man. Most people that are bitter and unforgiving are really, they've really forgotten what God has done for them or they never really put the weight and gravity on it that it really deserved. They never really believed that, hey, for my sin, I was really going to burn in hell fire for eternity. If you, have, if you did believe that, if you do know that, sometimes it's easier for someone who was just a straight up sinner like me because I really appreciate what he did for me. Some of you, you feel like, well, maybe I was okay. <laughs> I wasn't that bad. I was okay. You see, that's a terrible way to think because the Bible says if you miss, if, you, if you're trying to get there on your own righteousness by just being a good old boy, good old boys go to hell and so do sweet old ladies. I hate to tell you that. And a lot of times it's because they're so good in this life and they're so sweet in this life that they're depending on that for God to be grading with some kind of curve. And because they were the best person in their community, well then, they didn't need God. They did it on their own. And they're going to go to hell. And if you don't believe that, then you may be prone to that same self-righteous ideology of that, I don't need to repent. I haven't done anything. I'm better. I'm as good as the Christian that lives next door. Why do I need to repent? And that's a very dangerous theology because God says all men everywhere need to repent. It's one of our blind spots, folks. So there's three lessons from the parable of the wicked servant. First of all, God says that unforgiveness is wickedness. 
Doesn't he? Yes. He said, you wicked servant. It displeases God. You know why? Because it's not acting in faith. Is We're not trusting God with it. And anything that's not of faith is... So it displeases God. So without, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he was angry with the servant. And then the third thing is unforgiveness puts us in the hands of the tormentor. The jailer, right? So God, is, is God judging you and turning you over? Is he using the devil to accomplish his will? No. You need to read it through the new covenant lenses of grace and truth. Jesus has made provision for you. There's no reason that you should have to be handed over to the tormentors because Jesus has done everything to protect you and to keep you from that and made provision for you to enter into the safety of his salvation. How can you get how can you then end up in the hands of the tormentor? By choice. You have a free will. You can decide. Nope. Fold your arms like this and say, No, I'm not gonna forgive. You know a lot of us do, we say we forgive. And then you just let somebody apply pressure to that point right there. You let that same person you forgive bring it up in a hostile manner to you and see if you don't throw it back at them and remind them of everything that you've forgiven them of. But it doesn't sound like forgiveness at that time. It's not. You have not forgiven. And you've got some strongholds in your life that you need to... Get on your knees before God and you need to ask Him to help you and to remove from you. And He will. You belong to Him. He wants you to do that more than anything. You're the one that's holding it behind your back. Hiding it from Him. Don't go there. And then you say, oh no, I've forgiven. Okay, well let's see. Let's Let somebody add a little pressure. Let somebody, let somebody remind you of it and let it be... That person that you say you forgave. I'm just saying, folks, this is important. You know, it's not comfortable. I don't want anybody preaching this message to me. But sometimes I had it preached to me this week by the Lord. (laughs) Okay. And you know what? He was right. And so I'm getting there. I hadn't arrived, but I left the dock. As long as you're moored to the dock, he can turn that wheel and try to make course corrections in your life all he wants, and it's not going to do anything. You need to get out into the waters and start heading the direction you think he wants you to go, and then just the slightest turn of that wheel, that little rudder can change the direction of that big old ship, which is your life. A lot of Christians are tormented. And in really it's really heart-wrenching to watch and to see and to experience in some cases. But there's all kinds of torment. There's spiritual torment, mental and emotional torment. There's physical torment that comes through unforgiveness. So why? Unforgiveness. God has a spiritual law at work here. So, like I said, you can relate it to the law of sowing and reaping since it's something that we talk about a lot or I've written a chapter about in my book (laughs) but listen folks it boils down to this you're not the judge I'm not the judge and by not turning the matter over to the one who is the true judge and trusting him with it 
you imprison yourself and open the door for the tormentor, demonic fallen angels, to come into your life. After for the forgiveness that God has shown us by blotting out our transgressions and by such a great sacrifice as His only Son, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, we should, we should be willing, it should just be a reasonable thing that we do to forgive others. If not, if not, hear me now, if you refuse to forgive, there is no preacher in this world that can deliver you out of the hands of the tormentors until you repent and forgive all. Okay? Where do you need to repent? John 3, 3, Jesus said that everyone has to repent and come to Him first. Well, you say, well, I've already done that. I think everybody here belongs to Jesus. That's a great thing. <laughs> That's a great thing. You know what that means? You're not going to be tormented forever. <laughs> but maybe you need to repent regarding some other things. Maybe it's your integrity. Do you do the right thing even when nobody's looking? Or when you could be better served by doing something unethically? When no one would be the wiser? <laughs> Maybe you need to repent regarding your marriage. Many do. Have you ever truly agreed with God about your God-given role in your marriage covenant? Or immorality. Maybe it's your finances you need to repent about. Are you a good steward of all that God gives you? Maybe your fellowship with other believers. Are you only devoted to those in your own family or your own co-workers or friends or people that are good to you? Or do you do what God says regarding the household of faith, your fellow believers? Remember, it's always the same order. Repent, believe, walk in faith toward God, receive from God, use your authority to grow the kingdom and rule and reign and have dominion in this life. Amen. James 4, 6-8 says, But He gives us more grace. This is why it said, God opposes the proud. So humility is key. But gives grace to the humble. And then listen to this verse that we're, we're familiar with. And let's talk about it just a little bit. Verse 7. James 4. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And he might flee. Oh wait. That's not what it says. Okay. Let me try it again. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. That's what it says. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. He's talking about repentance. You draw near to God, that's repentance. As you were going the opposite direction, now you're drawing near to God. You're repenting. Then He says it again. Cleanse your hands. That's repentance, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded in what? Double-minded in heck, what Jesus just said in Mark eleven twenty four. Believe that you have what you pray for when you pray and you shall have it. 
You say, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm believing for something, and I know that this is God's will as well, so I know that I have it. And then you say, but... And then you get your butt in the way. You're double-minded. And James says, don't think you'll receive anything from God. You're double-minded. You're a fence-sitter. You're a fence-sitter. And the fence belongs to who? The devil. And we don't want anybody on the fence. We don't want anybody on the devil's side. So just agree with God. Many Christians believe that our only weapon against Satan is time. You know what I'm talking about? If we can just if we can just hold on long enough, weather the storm, everything is going to be all right. How's that? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it might be. It might be. But you know what that creates? Wounded Christians. It does. God wants better for you than that. The word says, when we submit to God, repent, resist the devil, he will flee. It doesn't say he might flee. It doesn't say he'll flee if we say all the right prayers or if we use an aggressive tone with him or if we fast and pray or attend a a prayer meeting, an all night prayer meeting even, get the prayer chain going. Twist God's arm a little bit. Just exerting our spiritual authority, which I'm a big proponent of, as you know, doesn't scare the devil. He flees because you have submitted yourself to God. You have believed what God says about you is true. And you have stood in your rightful place of authority. Then it's a guarantee. You need to get your mind wrapped around that. And once you believe it, and you make it real in your life, and you believe that more, they can't talk you out of it anymore. You're going to see a lot of changes in your life. In your prayer life, you're going to see a lot more victory in places where you were trying to obtain a victory because you're going to realize I've already got the victory in Christ now. I'm just fighting the devil off from trying to steal what God has already given me. Now, good stuff. Revelation 12, 1 and 2. Nope. Revelation 12, 10, 10, 11. The book of Revelation. Don't be scared. It's a beautiful book. You win in the end, folks. Nothing to be scared of for us. If you don't know God, this is the one that will shake, shake some fear into you. Boy, it ought to. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Common scriptures. John says, the revelation says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. That's the devil. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And listen to verse 11. And they have conquered him. They is you. Have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. That is a powerful passage of scripture. 
It points out three weapons that we have. The blood of the Lamb, the Word of God, and the testimony of believers. Okay? The blood of the Lamb, which we just partook of the communion of God. The Word of God and the testimony of believers. This is a... This scripture, this passage of scripture comes from an Old Testament type and shadow. Almost everything in the New Testament does, right? But it comes from an Old Testament type. The Passover lamb, right? Well, when the Passover lamb was when on the, on the last plague that came against Egypt, right? When Moses was there, the death angel came and he took all the firstborn males, right? Okay. So, the father, every Hebrew father, he had to take a lamb and he had to kill it. And he had to capture the blood in a basin. And then he had to apply the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. Right? Where the protection was needed. <laughs> in, in the home. From the angel of death. This, this protective act, see... It was, it was made available by God, wasn't it? Yes. How was it made available? By the blood of the Lamb. But, so, he did, he did that much. He took the, blood, the, the Lamb, he killed it, he captured the blood, it's in the basin. Was it doing him and his household any good in that basin? No. no. It had to be applied to the doorpost and the lintel. And it was only to be applied with a little bunch of hyssop, which is a common plant found everywhere all around Egypt. Just a very humble little nothing plant. How does this apply to us reigning in authority in life? Alright. In the New Testament, in order to use our authority effectively, we have to do what is typified here in this Old Testament passage of Scripture. John 1, 29, first of all, just to make sure, in case we're not familiar, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking by when he first saw his cousin after probably 30 years, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Remember that? Talking about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Paul said, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Jesus was sacrificed so that now by His blood, protection and total victory might be made available to all the people of God. I say might. Why? He's provided it. But the Old Testament, the blood in the basin, like we said, it didn't protect anyone. It had to be transferred to the place where the protection was needed with a little bunch of hyssop. So let's look at it. That's the natural. Let's look at it in the spiritual as how it applies to us. So the blood of Jesus is in the basin. Huh? It's already been spilled. It's already been provided for us. Not spilled. It's been captured. Okay? We got it in our basin. The Word of God. The blood of the Lamb. We have those things. 
But we have to apply it to the place where it is needed. Where the place where we have need of victory, we have need of protection from the enemy. And the hyssop is our own testimony, folks, of what the blood of Jesus does in our lives for us. Mm-hmm. Again, there's three weapons. The blood of the Lamb, the Word of God, and our own testimony. What we confess as a promise or provision God has made on our behalf. The only variable out of those three is what? It's not the Word of God. It's not the blood of the Lamb. It's our testimony. Our saying boldly with our own tongues out of our own lips before God and man and the whole seen and unseen realm the holy angels and fallen demonic beings our testimony what God says we repeat it pertaining to us. Ephesians 1 7 I'm going to show you just four things and we're done. And I'm going to get you to, to claim these things. And you're going to walk out of here in, in, in power and victory. Amen. Amen. So, let's look. I'm going to give you four scriptures real quick. I'm going to point out the four provisions of the blood of the Lamb. And then we're going to claim them for ourselves. Ephesians 1.7 talks about redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. It says, in Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses... According to the riches of His grace. The second thing, John, First John, the epistles of John in the back. First John one seven talks about cleansing. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to notice something about that scripture. All the verbs in that scripture are in the continual present tense. That's important. Because it it says, if we, right? Then he continually, we are continually cleansed by the blood. That's 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 an important point. The third one, just for time's sake, let's just run through these. Romans 5, 9 talks about our justification. Therefore, we have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We've been justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. <laughs> and then the fourth one, the Hebrews thirteen twelve, Sanctification. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Sanctified is simply to be set apart and made holy unto God for his purposes, by God, for him. You, you, you're his. And he sets you apart for his own use, his own purposes. So this is your testimony about these things. And by using it, you will... Great power in the spiritual realm and in the natural realm, actually. You wield great power against all the works. What does the Bible say? We have power over all the works of the devil. Not the devil himself, but anything that he pulls against you, any assignment, anything that he's concocted against you, 
you can you can you can make short of it. And if he catches him stealing from you, he'll have to replace it sevenfold. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so if he tries to come against you, especially if you believe this, though, yes. do you believe it? Yes. yes. All right. Then you'll want to repeat it after me. Yes. Hmm? If you, only if you believe it. Make it your own. Because when you're speaking this out, remember, you're, you're speaking to all of the seen and the unseen world. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Satan, all of his demonic beings. They're all watching you. Say this. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins have been forgiven. Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil. As I walk in the light, the blood of Jesus is cleansing me from all sin. Through the blood of Jesus, I am justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. Through the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified, made holy, set apart to God. I want to close with one scripture from Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, how he loves us. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. This is the spiritual Mount Zion, as opposed to the first mountain that the Hebrews came to, where they received the law and condemnation and 3,000 died that day when the spiritual Mount Zion came 3,000 were added to the church amen, amen. <laughs> but you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Spiritually, we've come to the heavenly mountain Zion. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Jesus' blood sprinkled there on our behalf in the presence of our Father. That's what Jesus did. He said, hey, Mary, don't touch me. I haven't gone to my Father yet. You know what He did? He entered into the real temple in heaven. What Moses was instructed to create here was a duplicate of what he had seen in heaven. A smaller version. There's a real one in heaven. 
Jesus walked in there dripping blood. And on the mercy seat, he applied his own blood. When, when Cain, Adam and Eve's son, killed his brother Abel, God the Father went to Cain and he asked him about it. And he acted like he didn't know about it or he wasn't responsible for it. And he said, how can you say that? Because the blood of your brother Abel cries out from the ground for justice. The blood of Jesus in heaven continually in the presence of God the Father cries out for mercy on your behalf and mine. Now you have this confession affirming all His blood has done for you. Now just know that it's continually crying out to God on your behalf. Put your trust in that. Can you give the Lord a shout of Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for all of the wonderful, wonderful things that you've done on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood on our behalf. One drop of your blood is worth more than anything in this world. And one soul is worth more than this whole world. And we thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us out of this world and you've made us your children. And that you're continually interceding for your, us and your blood speaks right in the presence of God and the holy angels of God on our behalf, crying out for mercy continually. We love you for this, Lord. Help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to take these truths that we've heard today and make them our own and to walk in power and love and authority and victory, expanding the kingdom of God and helping others to come to know you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.